For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade. I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We'll start with you, Randy. How you doing this fine Saturday morning? I'm doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I'm doing great, thank you. Glad to be with you and all the fine people here at the last bastion of sanity. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing well too, Jeff. I'm glad you're doing good. And, you know, just looking forward to maybe a little time with the family yeah. this holiday season. We got a little bit at Thanksgiving, but maybe yep. a little bit more coming. I'm looking forward to it too. Uh, great Thanksgiving. I'm glad that's behind us though. But uh, Christmas and the holidays and New Year in the windshield, it's not that long away, gentlemen. 2023 will be upon us. And I can't wait for that because 2022 has been just a little bit disappointing. <laughs> What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think everybody uh, coming into the first part of the year, looking at the tail end of 2021, would not have anticipated that we would have the situation with the market that we've had, where basically it's been pretty well a downward trend for the last 11.9 months, or whatever I'm at right now. <laughs> right. I'm not quite to the end where it's the <laughs> beginning of the 12th month, right? But right. Uh, whatever it is, no, nobody, I think, would have expected all the things that have happened and, you know, the fact that if you look back to March, Jerome Powell still had interest rates for the Fed banks at basically at zero. Right. And now we're at right around 4% and probably not done. So, you know, and a lot of what I call bear market rallies all along the way that made people think, well, maybe this is the end of the downturn. Well, maybe it's not. And of course, we're starting to see housing crack. We're starting to see layoffs. We're starting to see maybe the effects of the rising interest rates that Jerome has put in place, which is really what he needed to do to kind of right the ship. Now, nobody knows when this is going to be over. Over, and I don't think it is over yet, but maybe we're closer, a lot closer than when we started this year. Do you think that we've seen the bottom, though? I mean, 2022, as bad as it was, is that the bottom or is there more pain to come in 2023 or are we going to be on an upward trend? What do you think? Well, that's the $50 trillion question, <laughs> Jeff. Okay. And, uh, Nobody, I will say this, yeah. um, you know, Randy and I have a little bit of a differing opinion here, but I think it's possible that we have not seen the bottom yet. Mm. And it really is going to depend on how the Fed handles this. I know we talk about this pretty much every week, but, you know, it's still true today as it was uh, last week and the week before that, it, you know, how the Fed plays their hand is going to determine how difficult the next 12 months is going to be. And the other question is, are we in a recession? And you and I spoke off the air about that, that the conservative people will tell you when there's a recession. Myself, personally, I've receded a bit. I mean, I had several cars. I got rid of one over the weekend. And really, you know, I'm really watching what I spend. So am I telling you there is a recession? Are there other people telling you there is a recession? How do we feel about that? Is a recession imminent or is it already here? I imagine that a lot of people listening to this show have already started to tighten their belts. 
because they can feel it. They can see it coming. And the conservative Americans will be the first to start to rein in the spending. Not that they're liberal with spending ever, but they will start to rein it in a little bit before everybody else. And I think that uh, we're seeing people stop shopping at Hy-Vee and start shopping at Walmart and mm-hmm. those kinds of things where, you know, just saving a little extra money here and there. And, and I think that that is the beginning signs of the recession. Well, I don't know you guys. Now, you guys are both pretty negative here. Remember what Andy Williams said about this time of the year? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay. So, so we have to go out and spend with good cheer. Right? Is okay. that the way that works? All and right. I think that people, you know, over the weekend we saw that, uh, what was it? I think retail sales were online were $9 billion with Some, a B. Yeah. So that's quite a bit, you know. I mean, I think that was a record for the online. I'm not sure how the stores were doing. Lisa and I have kind of gotten to the point to where we try to avoid the big crowds. Yeah. We don't really go stand in line to get a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we don't get the deal, we'll just wait till it goes on sale later or something. But anyway, but no, I think that people are spending still, but I think they are. Well, I don't think that they are. We know that they're racking up a little bit more credit card debt than they have in the past for sure. And last week, Jake and I were looking at a chart that during the pandemic, when all the money was flowing like milk and honey out of the promised land, you know, people were saving lots of money, had lots of money to spend. And now we have seen that uh, savings rates are down since mm-hmm. the, the spigot has been turned off. Off and credit, you know, is going up right now. So I think that Jerome Powell's plan is working. I'm just not sure how long it's going to take to get us to the point to where we come in for somewhere between a soft and crash landing. I also think too, Jeff, to your point, I think that, you know, if you went out shopping at all during this Black Friday week or month or however it works, right? Um, <laughs> you know, depending <laughs> on the year, if you go to any of these discount retailers, I don't want to name names, but, you know, not the Dillard's, but maybe the next rung or two down. Right. They've stopped being as cheap as they once were. Yeah, I've noticed. Um, as you go around and you look yeah. around, you're like, you know, this is the place where I'm supposed to get nice 20 and $25 polos. Yeah. If I want 50 and 70 and $90 polos, I go to a different place, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that everybody's a little bit jaded. The stores are jaded. And even though we're seeing pretty strong Black Friday, Cyber Monday, online, all those types of sales, it makes me wonder how much of that is going to be profit versus inventory blowout. Yeah, because people forget that the retailers have to pay for that and they're paying inflated prices as well. I was out on the roadways a little bit on Black Friday and I was surprised that the traffic wasn't that bad. So now there's an explanation for that. People were simply just shopping online. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. You're just joining us for Show Me the Money this week. Let's talk a little bit about how to handle a recession. If we're in a recession, a recession is imminent. What would you say is the biggest thing that you would advise people to do to preserve their money or make it through a recession? We've had recessions in the past. How people made it through it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, everybody, if we look back over our shoulder, and at least most of the people listening to this program, they have seen two or three recessions prior to this in their lifetime. And I think if we look back over our shoulder, we can say, you know, we cut back a little bit on maybe eating out. Maybe we cut back on one of those extra trips that we were maybe going to take, maybe a weekend trip, maybe not a major vacation, but something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we wear those jeans one more year (laughs) or or, or, or something like that. Two or three more years (laughs) 
my case. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, maybe we make sure that we close the door when it's cold outside. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, I mean, just a few things that people can do to really kind of cut back. And I'm not saying people need to live, you know, like hermits, but yeah. but I think there's all of us, there's a, uh, in this country, there's a few things we could cut back on that will make the difference to kind of slow down the bleeding so we can get to the other side of this. And again, on the other side of this, we'll be good times again, and we'll make a bunch of money, more than probably we started with back over the next three to five years, and it'll be awesome. Yeah, and to your point, Randy, I mean, I've got clothing. You talk about wearing those jeans another year. I've got jeans I've had five five years. Actually, Randy, I have a jacket in my closet that I have had since 1975. It doesn't (laughs) fit well anymore, but... I believe that about you, Jeff. (laughs) I I wasn't even born then. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But I really have a jacket from 1975. It's a vintage jacket these days. I don't wear it that much, but typically I'm getting a lot more use out of my clothing, and you're right. We have have a little bigger house than we need. We do close off some of the rooms, so we're doing our part here. And I mean, we're already, at least in this household, are in a recession. What is going to be the result? I mean, what do you think is going to be the fallout for those people who just sort of, you know, stick their head in the sand like an ostrich and say, well, shoot, you know, I've got some credit cards here. I'm going to run them up. I mean, the housing market is crashing a little bit here. People are spending more on uh, credit. What is going to be the end result of that in the coming year when we have to pay the piper? I think that there's going to be more than a few people that have done that that are going to lose a job yeah. or maybe both jobs in the right, household. Right. Not because they're not working necessarily, but because that's what's going to be required to fix this inflation problem. There's going to be downsizing. We've seen it at the highest levels in tech already where these Googles and the Microsofts and everybody, Apple fired their recruiting team. Mm-hmm. You know, So we're starting to see it there, but we haven't seen it a lot in the manufacturing tech jobs because right now they're still at a shortage but before it's over you're going to see some of these large manufacturers start laying people off and you know they're they're going to probably start with their senior people who are making double what the new people are making right which is a mistake probably because the new people don't know anything yet but yeah that doesn't change the fact that that's how management will look at it is if i have to cut bodies i want to cut the ones that are costing me the most and mm-hmm. i think that when that happens you know if you lose a job when you're it's, it's one thing when you're you're leveraging up with these credit cards right. and you have the income to make the payments and maybe it's a little tighter than it was but it's not a big deal but you lose a job even for a few months and now it starts to become a very big deal and i think that you're going to see stories about that coming up and you're going to see that start to happen in the next probably quarter to two quarters yeah i mean losing a job at 35 is one thing losing a job at 55 is yet another and i think that's going to force a lot of people into early retirement if that happens Is it possible to survive if you are downsized and you do lose your job at 55, 60 years of age? Are there ways that you can go ahead and retire? Well, you know, it depends on where people are, how much they've saved and, you know, kind of when they started their family. You know, some people start their families really early. You know, I have some people that I meet that are grandparents at 37, 38 years oh of age, gosh. you know. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, I didn't have my first child till I was 27. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting here thinking, well, it just depends on where you are in that cycle. And, you know, if you've paid for college, if you've got, you know, school debt and that sort of thing hanging out there. 
but it'll it'll cause people to uh, you know really have to take a second look at what retirement means to them and yeah. how they're going to go about getting that done. And you know, again, even today, I would say though, at fifty five, even at sixty, there are still jobs out there that people can get right now. Yeah. Uh, again, if the layoffs get strong and hard here for a while. It may be where people will have to just kind of sit tight for a little bit, try to rein in their spending as much as they can until mm-hmm. the other side of this. Maybe maybe they have to get another job to work out another four or five, six years if they're 55 or so to get to retirement age where they can uh, maybe at least turn on some Social Security. And again, everybody's situation is so different. The biggest thing I would say is uh, if people don't have a plan, if they haven't really sat down and figured out where they are and looked at budgeting and all that sort of thing and looked forward down the road five or 10 years, uh, it's something that they should be doing, and it's something we can certainly help them out with here at Floyd Financial Group. Yeah, and that was the answer I was looking for, Randy, is to have a plan. Even if you're not in retirement just yet, I mean, you should be proactive in terms of your planning, not reactive. So if you're not yet into retirement, certainly think about getting that plan. And a lot of people's retirement these days, I read the other day, is to have a part-time job. When I go into the hardware store, most of the people that are helping me are older people. So have a plan. How do you get a plan? Well, we're offering it no cost, no obligation here for our fine listeners here of Show Me the Money. To get yours, call 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation. Most importantly, no judgment at Floyd Financial Group. 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. We're going to take a quick break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about income planning, which kind of goes with what we were talking about in that last segment to kind of wrap up and what that looks like. And it's a little different for everyone, but we want to talk about the basically the four-legged stool now, Jeff. I've thrown a wrinkle in here. Usually it's either a two or a three, but we have a four-legged stool today, which really is kind of a novel concept. I mean, it might be stable and really good. Yeah, I would think the more, (laughs) you know, you got three legs on a stool, you can fall over. It's not as easy as, you know, if you got two legs, but four legs is pretty solid. So let's talk about income planning when you get into retirement. Randy, for me in retirement, that is the number one thing is going to be cash flow and income planning. So how do you approach that? Where do you dig for this money? Sure thing. So there's a couple of things I want to throw out in the beginning here. So, you know, when, when we first start looking at doing income planning for people, people have two takes on income. One is, and I asked this question, and we've asked this on the show before, would you rather have a million dollars or would you rather have $50,000 a year guaranteed for life? Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those questions that, you know, people say, well, boy, I like that 50000 a year to be knowing for sure, for sure, for sure that it's going to be coming in. And that's great. But now if we look at it a little closer, we know that if we have that 50000 for life, we've given up the million dollars lump sum. And all we have to do is create a 5% yield 
yield right. on our million dollars, and we've got our 50000 plus we have our million dollars. Right. So, you know, we always have to ask the question because there's no right or wrong answer to that. Some people feel more secure just knowing that they know that they know that they got that 50000 Other people are ready to say, well, yeah, I think I can, you know, I think we can easily make that 5%, which will pay us that 50000 So as we start looking at income planning, it's really different for everybody. Now, I want to talk about this four-legged stool we talked about. So number one, okay. it used to always be, you know, Social Security is the thing that everybody looks at as they get close to retirement, trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. Hopefully, they've got a 401k, a 403b, a 457, or some savings, or maybe some brokerage accounts where they've saved money so they can have some income in retirement from those. And then third, we are seeing still a few people have these things called pensions, which are beginning to be few and far between. And then finally, the fourth leg to the stool is... And we talked about it earlier, many people are working part-time in yeah. retirement to supplement. So that's kind of our four-legged stool. So the first thing we want to look at is let's talk about Social Security for a moment. As we start looking at income planning, people say, well, Randy, is it best for me to take uh, you know, Social Security at 62, or do I wait till 70, or do I take it in the middle when I get to Medicare age? Where do I start? Mm-hmm. And those are all really good questions. And so, Jeff, what's the answer to that? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You are exactly right. <laughs> there is no one right or wrong answer there. And everybody, I always tell people this, there's two sides to this. Number one is there's the dollars and cents side, and then there's the human side. The fact that we are human, we don't know how long we're going to live for sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe at age 62, you know, we've worked long enough that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. And we just want to quit and do something different. Or maybe you're like some of the people we see in here, they say, you know, I hope I can work till I'm 75. Or maybe you're a Warren Buffett and you'll be working at 90. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, but his buddy Charlie Munger, who's 90, what is he, Jake? 97, maybe? Maybe 97, 97 years old. Yeah. His, uh, they've been business partners for 55 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a little extreme myself. <laughs> but Social Security is a very, uh, it just depends on several things. Number one, do you want to retire now? Do you still want to keep working for a while and earn as much money as you can? Because many times we're in our best earning years as we get to 62 and 65 and through that range. Also, did your spouse work? Was she a stay-at-home, you know, raising children and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Does she have a benefit of her own that's going to exceed yours? Or, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how spousal benefits work with Social Security here in a minute. You know, but how's your health is the other thing. You know, are you at a point where you can still work easily? and maintain it or is your health a challenge? So that's a lot of the things that go into planning when we start Social Security. We also have to look at budgeting. What other money do we have? What Do we have a 401k? Do we have a pension? Uh, and that sort of thing before we can really determine whether or not now is the time to pull the plug. And so speaking of Social Security and spousal benefits, there's a few key points we should talk about out here about Social Security. And there's some really pretty basic ones that I want to cover for everyone. And number one, people sometimes say, hey, is my Social Security, when I take it, is it taxable? Well, the answer to that question is it is subject to tax, yes. It just depends on how big that check is and how much other income you have as to whether or not Social Security will be taxed. 
We look at this thing called provisional income is what the IRS calls it. And so basically, and I won't go through the whole formula here, but basically the most of your social security that could be taxed would be 85% would be subject to tax. That's if you're a married couple at $44,000 in income or more. At a single, it's at 32,000 there. And then you can go to 50% for a single to 24,000 and above and then for a married couple 34,000 and above and then if you're under that 24,000 as a single you will probably pay zero taxes on social security and under 32 as a couple probably the same thing so it really gets to what other income you have that's coming in as to whether or not it will be taxed and how much it will be taxed now couple other things people need to know. Even if you were a stay-at-home husband or wife and did not work outside the home, you can claim benefits based on your spouse. And if your spouse waits till their full retirement age and you're at full retirement age, you are entitled to as much as 50% of their benefit. And so that's something that a lot of people are not aware of. And that's a pretty key point. So the other thing that, that really needs to be stressed here is maybe we don't need both social security checks right away. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to turn on one and we want to wait till later to turn on another one. Sometimes we have people that they're not you know, similar age, so we know that it's going to be one followed by another one in five or six or maybe 10 years. So again, this whole idea of social security and spousal benefits, as you can see, Jeff, is not just yeah. straight up and simple. <laughs> It can get a little complicated, but going back to the spousal benefits thing, as you said, up to 50% of your spouse's Social Security that you can get. In some cases, it's less than that. Let's say that the spouse who worked less or didn't work took Social Security early. Let's say it's 62, then they don't get 50% of the higher earner's Social Security, do they? Yeah, that is correct. So there's an actual calculator out on the Social Security website. You can go out and talk about when your spouse is going to take benefits and then plug in your age there as as to when you will do it as well. And what ends up happening is it'll tell you the percentage of that spouse's benefit that you will get. Generally, let's say that you go at 62 and you file on your spouse's benefit. You're going to be entitled to about 32.5% of that spouse's benefit. And it just kind of scales up as you get closer and closer between 62 and full retirement age, which for most people today is age 67. Mm -hmm. There's still a few of us out there at 66 and six months, maybe 66 and four, but most people it's going to be 67 at this point, but it'll just kind of tick up from that 32 and a half percent, you know, up to 35, 37, 41, 42, 45, until it gets all the way up to 50%. And it's good to know that that calculator is out there and we can certainly help people to know what that benefit's going to look like. And then we compare that if that spouse has worked against their own benefit to see which one is most advantageous for them. Randy, if one spouse dies, let's say that the higher earner spouse dies, does the surviving spouse then take over the higher earner Social Security? Yes. I mean, in, in essence, that's what happens. At the end of the day, that's what ends up in their in their bank account. It's a little different than that behind the scenes for Social Security, but suffice it to say that you will end up with the bigger of the two checks. Okay. And as we said, with Social Security, you can take it early at 62. There's full retirement age between 66 and 67. As you said, for most people, it's getting closer to 67. But for some of us, it's 66 and six months. And then the oldest you can take it is going to be 70. I mean, you can take it at 72, but you don't get any more. So Basically, I'm thinking of three choices there, but if you take it at 62, there is an earnings limit, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, right now that number's around twenty thousand dollars. I don't know the. I don't know if they've published the new number. I think they did last year. It was nineteen thousand five hundred and forty dollars was the maximum, or about sixteen hundred and thirty dollars a month. And it'll probably be around seventeen hundred or something like that a month for this new year. So just know that you're going to be able to earn about twenty thousand dollars a year if you're under full retirement age. If you exceed that, you have to pay back one dollar for every two that you collected. And so we want to go in with our eyes wide open on that deal because nobody likes to get penalized, you know, and have to pay stuff back and all that. But it's part of the engineering process if you do plan to work part-time because you want to or because you want to supplement your income. Maybe those first few years of retirement, it's certainly something we can factor in and we do factor into every plan. But if you've done well and you've saved enough, I mean, you could retire at 62, take the lesser benefit there and not worry about what you're going to make. That is one reason why you may want to take Social Security at age 62 because you just don't need the money. But if you do need the money, it's okay to take it at 62. But as you said, there is an earnings test and it is around $20,000. But once you get to full retirement age now, that earnings test goes away, doesn't it? Yep, that's right. Once you you get to full retirement age, you can earn all the money that you want to. 67 and beyond, like I said, for most people today, that would be the case. Even in the year that you are turning full retirement age, you get around, I haven't looked at the new number yet that's coming out for the new year, around $55,000, $56,000 you can make that year. And if you've worked into that year, hadn't even thought about retiring. And at that point, maybe in mid-year or, or three quarters of the way through the year, if you did, if you retire, they're not going to penalize you looking back over your shoulder as long as you don't breach the number of 20000 or 1630 a month looking forward. But if you don't need the money, let's say you do get to full retirement age and you don't need the money, you're either still working or you've got enough money and you say, I'm going to wait until 70 or, you know, even a few years before that, after full retirement age, until you get to 70, you get more every year. How much is that? Like 8%, something like that? Yeah, it's an 8% simple benefit. In other words, it's not compound. It doesn't right. compound on itself. So let's say that your benefit's going to be $3,000 at age 67. You wait a year. Well, 8% of 3000 is 240 You'll go to 3240 And then next year, you'll go to 3480 And then that following year, whatever the 240 on there is, 37 and a little change. Right. So that's how that stacks up. There are so many different ways to take Social Security. Randy, I've understood that there are probably literally hundreds of different calculations in taking Social Security. Do you have some sort of a maximization or optimization program or something that you use? I mean, can you just plug in all the figures and it'll tell you the best two or three ways to take it? Yeah, there's software that does that for us. And we used to use it all the time. But I will tell you that with our experience now and and what we look at, generally the decision making comes down to for most people either it's either it's straight up dollars and cents or it's the human side of things. Okay. So people, you know, they want to maximize and and we want them to get the most out of their money, but here's the real issue. If we knew exactly when people were going to draw their last breath, we could tell them exactly when to take social security and maximize it and take you know, the best care of them that we could. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, none of us, well, I may say unfortunately, I probably don't want to know when I'm under all my last breath. No, but, me neither. Me but, you neither. know, no. we don't have that date and we don't right. know what that looks like. So, right. you know, we just kind of help people walk through it. And generally, when we start looking at budgeting and we get all the way through, like I said, you know, looking at their 401k, how much money they've saved there, what we can draw off of that. We look at their pension, you know, do they have a, a lump sum option? And I will tell you, for most people today, lump sum pension options are what most 
most people are doing because they know they can generally get just about as big a paycheck as the pension would guarantee them, but they also have the liquid cash. And then when we couple that with if they want to work part-time, we put all those things together, it usually becomes pretty obvious what they need and what they're going to want to do. And that also sometimes helps us just, they say, well, you know what? I came in here and I was thinking it was going to be three years, but I think now we can do this in two. And so what it does is it helps us to establish a target date, put the plan in place, and then work the plan to get there. Yeah, a lot of times you're the bearer of good news. People come in and they're not sure they can retire. By the time they leave, they're walking on there because they realize they can retire. I'll tell you one that's even funnier than that, Jeff, is that there are some people that come in and we're saying, you know what, you could retire and have more money than you're currently bringing home. Wow. You'd just be home doing it. <laughs> those are good conversations. Yeah, I would imagine those are really rewarding conversations. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here, Floyd Financial Group, about when you can retire. Specifically, we've been talking about the four-legged retirement stool and Social Security. I know it may seem a little daunting for you folks listening to the program today. How do I figure all this out? Well, you need somebody who's walked this walk before, as we call it, a financial Sherpa. And that is what Randy and Jake Floyd are at Floyd Financial Group. If you want somebody to walk that walk with you to to talk to you in ways that you can understand it, get in and get your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan. It's very simple to do. Call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more Show Me the Money right here on my favorite radio station, 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. In this segment, we're going to be talking about how to avoid liquidating your retirement assets early. What are some alternatives to cashing that 401k out early? And Jake, first of all, let's talk about the circumstances that present that particular problem. If you're planning to retire in three or four years and all of a sudden you've been called into the boss's office and you're going to be retiring today, it is unexpected. Now, if you were to retire in two or three years, yeah, you had finances to do that. But uh, let's talk about some of the ways that you could create some income without liquidating those assets that you had planned to liquidate in two or three years. So let's start with it right there. Yeah, so there's a few ways to handle this. There's going to be a lot, as we always say on the show, it, it depends, right? right? It depends on the rest of your situation, depends on income needs. But let's say that we have a 401k and that's the majority of our assets. One of the things that we've talked about on the show before that would be worth looking at is what's called a 72T exemption. So 72T refers to the tax code where it allows us to take what's called substantially equal periodic payments or SEP, S-E-P-P, mm-hmm. we'll call it SEP payments for short, either for five years or until you're 59 and a half. And what that does is it allows us to take out income out of the 401k or IRA, but not take the penalty even though we're taking early withdrawals. Mm-hmm. So we still owe the taxes on what we take out, but we do not owe the 10% penalty that the IRS imposes if we take out early withdrawals before 59 and a half. That's one of the exemptions around that. Depending on what other retirement assets we have or, or assets in general, there's a lot of other ways to uh, supplement income. If we have savings, for example, one of the things to think about if we retire early is the biggest expense 
you're most likely going to incur that you were not planning to incur is health insurance. Right. And so thank you, Mr. Obama, for completely wrecking the healthcare system. But basically, there's one option now for private health care, and that's Obamacare, even though it's not really private. You know, I remember 12 years ago mm-hmm. when there was dozens of companies that would quote you for health insurance. There was actually competition, and the prices were right. much lower. Now right, it's basically right. the exchange, and you have to go there. So if you haven't had that experience yet, your income determines how much you pay for that health insurance. The cost of that health insurance is very expensive, but if you have less income, you get a subsidy, quote unquote, from the government to make it cost less. So if we use savings instead of retirement assets, that does not show up as income for the purposes of the Obamacare subsidy. So I could take 50,000 a year from savings, and it doesn't show up as 50,000 a year from income. So I could have 50,000 a year from savings and have a part-time job making, you know, 15,000 a year. That gives me 65,000 a year in income. But all that for the Obamacare purposes is going to see is that $15,000, for example. Now I realize it's a little bit of a oversimplification, but there's a lot of creative things that we can do income-wise if we're stuck in that situation. Now, obviously, we hope that doesn't happen to anybody with the early forced retirement, but even if it's voluntary, there's a lot of things to consider before just kind of going off half-cocked and start draining a retirement account Mm -hmm. and incurring 10% penalties. And Jake, I mean, you don't have to lose your job to need alternatives to liquidating your assets. I mean, have you had people who have said, look, you know, I can liquidate my assets, but I want to leave a legacy to my children here a little bit. I want to leave something behind. How can I create some income without liquidating those assets and taking that early withdrawal penalty? You know, Jeff, probably the best solution there is to go out and find another job if it happens too early, right? Part of that depends on what age this is happening to you at. You know, if it, if it's 50, it's quite a bit different than if it's 58 mm-hmm. or 61 or 2 even. Obviously, if you're past 59 and a half, you don't have the early withdrawal penalty problem. But if we kind of zoom out and take this from a more early retirement, even if it's not prior to 59 and a half, maybe it's 61 or 2, a lot of the same things will come into play. Like health insurance, you know, you don't, Medicare doesn't kick in until 65. So there's a lot of people that will retire at 62 and, you know, they still have to supplement that health insurance uh, until 65. So to your question, I think that legacy is important to a lot of people. We, We do have people all over the spectrum there, though. We have people that come in and say, you know, my kids are fine. They make good income. Mm -hmm. I want them to have whatever's left. But if that's zero dollars and zero cents, I'm okay with that. I want to live my best life. And then we have people that are like, you know, my kids don't care about me and I hope my last check bounces. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. You know, that's a little vindictive, but. You know, that's each person is different. I think we talk a lot about that. We say it depends. It's just because there's so many different types of people out there. Then we have people that say, you know, I really want to leave at least half of this money to my kids. You know, I want to live on some of it. And then we have people that say, I'm going to shop at Goodwill and starve myself so that I can leave as much money to my kids as possible, you know. And so there's kind of a varying array there. But if it happens too early, we might need to go look for another job. But if we are 
kind of right on the cusp of retirement, it's going to be very difficult to replace that income. You have a couple of options. So one thing that a lot, we see this a lot, actually, when people either decide to retire a little bit early or they're forced to retire a little bit early. Let's say we're 60 years old. Sometimes what we'll see is we'll tap a little bit of retirement savings, but then we'll go get a part-time job Mm -hmm. doing something that we like to do. So usually people are not fortunate enough to have a career doing something they love. But most people have a job that they work because they have to work, right. and that's just kind of part of the deal. You know, for example, let's say you have a, some kind of a corporate sales job, and you're like, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to go work at Bass Pro and get discounts on firearms, and yeah. you know, make twelve or fifteen bucks an hour, and enjoy going to work, knowing that any day that I feel like it, I can wake up and say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that you don't have to do it, which can make it a lot more tolerable. I think that's one potential solution is to supplement some of that income. It really just varies, though, person to person based on what we saved, what's possible. And that's why we always we always kind of come back to this plan thing. But, right. uh, you know, Randy and I do a lot of discovery trying to figure out the best possible situation for each person based on not only their finances, but what they want to do in right. life. And I think that varies so widely that pretty much no two plans are ever the same, you know. Sometimes we'll use the same tools for two different people, but people are so different that, you know, it really comes down to your goals and what you want. You know, some people are like, hey, I'm going to retire at 60. And even if I spend all the money by the time I'm 70, I'll just live on Social Security because I want to enjoy those 10 years. You know, which 10 years are most likely going to be the best 10 years of your life? The next 10. Right. Because once you're 25, health-wise, scientifically speaking, it's pretty much downhill from there, right? So regardless of what age you are, the next 10 years are likely to be your best physical and able 10 years. And I think there's a lot of people that say, hey, I want to skew the income toward that. So that's Mm -hmm. another thing that we can do with planning either early retirement or not early retirement. But that kind of gives you a little idea of how the lens at which we look through things. We try to we try to give people what their best retirement looks like, not necessarily kind of stuff everybody in the same box. Well, income certainly is very important in retirement, but also your happiness is very important, too. I mean, what is your definition of retirement? And as you said, Jake, I mean, boy, that sounds so appetizing. Getting a job there at the Bass Pro Shop and doing something that you love and really, you know, looking forward to going to work every day. I think there's a lot to be said for something like that. Have you had clients or in in your experience, I mean, is that something that people do where they say, you know, I've always wanted to run a bicycle shop or I've always wanted to, you know, have a boat shop or go fishing, that sort of thing. Have you had a lot of people who do that have a second career that they enjoy much more than they did the first career? Absolutely. In fact, there's a couple people that come to mind right now that, you know, are looking at either retiring or have retired and what they would like to do is charity work. Right. You know, you know, get minimal pay, right. but really be able so they, they can supplement that income, but really do what they're what's on their heart to do. You know, right. Christian people want to be charitable and help people and share the gospel and things like that. Right. And they can do kind of both if they retire a little bit early. They can take a little bit of income from their retirement assets but not draw it too hard because they're getting a smaller amount of income, but some income to supplement, but they get to do, go to work every day and go, hey, this is what I really want to do. This is what I'm passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I can think of quite a few people yeah. that have done that or are looking at doing that. And I will tell you that very few people really want to just go and sit at home. Yeah. 
everybody's idea of the perfect retirement is a little bit different. Some people would love nothing more than to go sit on a bass boat and fish six or seven hours a day every day for the rest of their life. There are also people who couldn't take that for one day because they hate fishing. (laughs) And I think, you know, everybody's idea of retirement costs a different amount, too. (laughs) Right. Right. It's pretty cheap to sit on the bank and bait night crawlers on the hook and uh, and fish all day. You know, if you want to travel the world, that's a much different number. But these are all the different aspects we look at when we're developing a plan for somebody. And to that point, Jake, I've got a friend who's been in the financial services industry and in his retirement, I mean, he's downsized his house a little bit, so he doesn't need as much money to live, but he is living his best life because he is helping people in his church understand money and helping them. And, And really, that is such a gratifying thing to do to take your experience and help other people. There is a lot to retirement other than, as you said, just sitting and, you know, baiting a hook or waiting till Wheel of Fortune comes on. Think about your retirement, (laughs) what you want to do in retirement that's not only going to make you feel better, but also benefit others. We're talking with Jake Floyd here of Floyd Financial Group. Our show is called Show Me the Money. And if you're listening to this and you're going, wow, you know, those those guys really do know what they're talking about. I'm thinking about retirement, what I want to do, but I don't know quite how it's going to work. Well, here's what you do for the first step. You call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Get in and get your complimentary as a no-cost, no-obligation financial plan that will get you on the road to retirement and get you into a better retirement than you ever thought possible. 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Our program is called Show Me the Money. Thank you so much for joining us here in this fine Saturday morning. We appreciate your company. We're going to be taking a quick break. When we come back, we've got the final segment of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money radio. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. In this segment of the show, we're going to be talking about the 60-40 portfolio, the old standby for retirees. What a nightmare it's been and the future (laughs) prospects thereof. 60-40 stock bond split there. And as you said, Jake, it has been a staple and it went away for a while, but you're saying it maybe is not as bad as it used to be. Is it coming back or is there, uh, you know, a place for it in today's portfolio? So like any other asset or asset class, anytime you have a horrifically bad year or six months or nine months or whatever, that just makes it more attractive from an absolute standpoint looking forward, right? Because if I'm down this much, the chances of it being able to go down again like that are fairly minimal. The reason why the 60-40 portfolio did so poorly is stocks were doing poorly, but bonds had their worst nine months in 50 years. Going back to the beginning of the year, interest rates were basically zero. Now we're close to 4%. And now that that pain is out of the way, it's possible interest rates could go higher here. But I would say that it's more likely that interest rates will come back down as a result of a recession. So a 60-40 portfolio should have bonds appreciating to some extent as stocks continue to fall over the next six months or so. So I think that the 60-40 portfolio had a really bad nine months or so, but it Mm -hmm. probably looks better now than it did in the past. Whether or not a 60-40 portfolio is appropriate for somebody, though, is is another question entirely. So basically, Jake, I mean, the generic 60-40 stock bond portfolio isn't what everybody thought it was. What can retirees do to adjust if they were using that strategy? 
So there's a few things that we can do. One of the things is we talked about last week uh, in quite a bit of depth, and I'll just touch on it here. If you want to hear more about it, you can listen to last week's show either on the podcast or on our website, right. floydfinancialgroup.com, but is tax loss harvesting. So because bonds have had such a poor year, there's a lot of losses accumulated if you had mid to long-term bonds in the portfolio. So by reallocating or rebalancing a 60-40 port portfolio, you will lock in some of those losses. Why is that a good thing? Tax loss harvesting or, or taxes in general on losses work this way. If I have a loss, either short-term or long-term capital gain of $3,000 per year, I can offset my taxes. If I have more than that, let's say I have $20,000 worth of losses, I can carry that forward and take $3,000 per year off of my adjusted gross income. I can also use that carry forward to offset future gains. So as if you've been listening to the show, we're a little bit negative on the near term, but long term, we really think that America is still the greatest nation on the face of the earth and that we're going to have a massive rally on the backside of all this. So if we can harvest some of those losses now, we can pay less taxes on gains in the future. So that's one of the big things with a 60-40 is if you had 40% of your money in bonds, there's likely a lot of red there. And while that hasn't been comfortable, we can still use that to our advantage a little bit and do some tax loss harvesting. So Jake, uh, rebalancing your portfolio could be a smart decision, as you said, but what should people watch out for when undergoing a rebalance? You talked a little bit about tax implications. Are there other things? Yeah. So with respect to the taxes real fast, you know, if you have highly appreciated stock in here, we still need to look at what we're doing before we just start axing stuff out of the portfolio. I don't want anybody to think that Jake's up here saying, yeah, you just need to sell everything and, and get those losses. There's a lot more to it than that. But those are some of the things we can talk about when you come in for your consultation. We're also talking about non-IRA money or non-qualified money, technically, when we're talking about this. Because if, if we're talking about IRA money, there's no capital gains or capital losses. We just pay tax as we take it out. So I just wanted to clear that up. As far as rebalancing a 60-40 portfolio or portfolios in general, rebalancing is generally a good idea because we don't want to have any of our risk tolerances out of balance. Mm -hmm. So if we had a 60-40 portfolio, we are now probably a little bit off of that, meaning the bond portfolio got hit so hard that our overall mix is thrown off. So that's why we want to do the rebalancing to make sure that we don't drift too far from our risk tolerance. Because when we set up a 60-40, or let's say in your case, maybe it's a 70-30 or a 50-50 portfolio, whatever is appropriate for you. And, and that's something that is based off of a risk tolerance, risk capacity. And those are all things that we will talk about when we're setting up a plan. But we don't want to drift too far from that because the whole plan is predicated around how much risk we're taking and how much potential reward we get. So rebalancing is a good idea. I would argue that it's a good idea, maybe more so than normal because of what's happened and what we've already talked about here with the bond market. Usually what people do is they rebalance at the first of the year. What you may want to consider for the tax loss harvesting aspect of this is rebalancing before the end of the year 
to make sure that we get to lock those those in to help us on our taxes coming up here in this April. So if we do it this year instead of next year, even though it's only one day difference doing it on December 31st to January 1st or whatever the weekend falls on this year, that will have serious implications tax-wise. If you've had a lesser income year, we may want to wait till next year to harvest those losses. So that's why I always we always say it depends on this show, right? right, right. And that's, that's why <laughs> it depends is there's so many factors that can go into this. But generally speaking, it's a good idea to rebalance, especially in a year where there's been a lot of carnage, because you're going to have certain positions that are down 60, 70, 80%. You're going to have some positions that are maybe even up year to date. If you have oil and gas companies, they're going to be up. So if we look at it broadly, we may want to rebalance those so that our risk tolerance falls correctly back into into line. And Jake, you mentioned rebalancing at the first of the year. I mean, is that a hard and fast rule? Are there ever years when you go, you know, everything's just fine. I'm going to leave it as it is. Or should you really be looking at it at least once a year or even more often than once a year? How do you handle that? So when it comes to rebalancing, that's more of a philosophical question than a right way or a wrong way to do it. You know, if you had set your portfolio up basically with each stock in the S&P 500 12 years ago, rebalancing that portfolio would have meant that you would have sold Apple over and over and over. If anybody has been holding Apple for the last 12 years, you will know that you're up like 20 times your money, right? right? So rebalancing is another form almost of diversification. Diversification is good because it can reduce risk, but it also reduces potential return, right? Would it be better to have a diverse portfolio or to own the best stock out there only? Well, it's better to own the best stock, but the problem is, is you don't know which stock is the best stock, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we diversify. And so rebalancing a portfolio kind of does the same thing as it re-diversifies. That might be a good way to think about it for the average person is things have kind of gotten out of whack. Some things are heavier weighted than they should be. Some things are lighter weighted. And so we're going to re-diversify or rebalance that portfolio. Personally, Floyd Financial Group, we don't really have a policy of rebalancing just for the sake of rebalancing. We more look at the timing and the cycle of where we're at, and we rebalance according to that. So there's some some years where we're going to rebalance four or five times, and then there's some years we might only do it once. And so it's kind of we're a little bit more feel oriented, but there's a lot of a lot of mutual funds and a lot of managers out there that rebalance quarterly or annually, just like clockwork. So again, it's a little more philosophical, less this is the right way, this is the wrong way to do it. But rebalancing in general is a good thing. We're talking with Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group about the old 60-40 stock bond split and rebalancing your portfolio here on Show Me the Money. Jake, before we go from today's show, I want to touch on this initial consultation that you offer there at Floyd Financial Group, entirely complimentary, free, no cost, no obligation. When someone calls 417-889-7233 and comes in and asks questions about 60-40 stock bond split, I mean, they have a lot of things to talk about, but do they typically meet with you and Randy or do they meet with one of you? How does it work? Yeah, a lot of the time you're going to meet with Randy and I both. And, you know, we need to determine whether a 60-40 portfolio is even appropriate because I think we kind of skipped that part. But, you know, there's a lot of other tools we may want to use out there instead of just a 60-40 portfolio that may give us a little bit better risk versus reward prospect. What we want to do is we want to get as much of the upside as we can while mitigating as much of the downside as we can. And then also do that based on risk tolerance. You know, if you're 30 
and you know you're trying to build you have a much higher risk tolerance and risk capacity meaning your ability to take risk is much higher and you know if you're 30 and you're funding a 401k you shouldn't be changing anything here you should be buying continuing to buy and continue to get whatever match your employer may offer. But if we're closer to retirement, risk tolerance really starts to become important because we don't have time on our side anymore. So again, I just wanted to clear that up and just say, that's part of what we're gonna do when you come in here. Like Jeff said, it is complimentary. There's mm-hmm. no charge. You're never gonna get a bill from Floyd Financial Group and say, hey, we did this plan for you. You need to pay for that. Right. Um, we will get paid if we invest money for you and we will disclose exactly how that works. It's a little bit different for each person, but depending on what plan we set up, but we don't charge to do the plan itself. We feel like if we put together a good plan and we invest in people, then when it comes time to do business, we'll make our money. We get to keep the doors open, but we get to more importantly, keep helping as many people as possible. It's not our goal to only work with super wealthy people, even though that would put more money in our pocket. It's our goal to really help people and bring value to the situation. And as long as we do that, we feel like we've done our job. And something that you said there, Jake, that's very important. I want people to uh, recognize uh, that you said was at Floyd Financial Group, we invest in people. So if you're looking for a financial planner that invests in people and people such as you, everybody's different. Again, call 417-889-7233. Get in and sit down with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group. They're just really smart and nice people talking to you about that scary money stuff. They'll take the scary out of that and put you on the road to retirement. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Out of time for this week. Jake, thank you so much for your time. Tell Randy thanks for his time. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.